guys, this is Pastor Justin Bowers, and you are listening to the New Community Podcast. Uh, We're thrilled that you're listening today, and we hope that this is a great experience for you. I wanted to let you know that you can support the work of New Community and all that God is doing down here in West Virginia by going to New Community WV and then clicking on the Give tab. Uh, We would love to have your support, and we would be excited that you would journey with us in all that God has called us to, to be a people finding and following Jesus beyond Sundays. Enjoy the podcast. Well, welcome. Good morning. Everybody's here and awake, um, doing okay, I hope. If you're not, maybe by the end, we can support each other in that. So glad you guys are here. All right, if you have a Bible, you can go to, uh, let's start in Luke, Luke 24. I may have you jump. I may not get there, but we'll, we'll go somewhere later. Luke is close. All right, that's, that's just where we'll start. We're, we're starting a brand new series today, uh, and the series is called Intentional. And half of you have already said you spelled tension wrong, or you spelled intentional wrong. I get it, okay? There's, there's a little bit of purpose there. And, and I'm really excited about this series because it's a series that I've kind of sat with for um, probably six, eight months. In fact, when I, when I traveled to California earlier this spring in February and March to train with a group of Hispanic pastors, this is the material that I put out there for them to use. And it was really in a context of leadership. And, and, and what I kind of got to thinking about was we've really never done a leadership series in this church. And, and so I thought this material needs, we need to connect this, but this is not going to come in the way of just leadership conversations. Cause some of you would be like, I'm not a leader. I don't want to talk about this. I don't have to come to church. Well, you do. And it's okay. We're going to, we're going to move through that. But what I, I want to do is say, how do we step intentionally into the lives that we've been given? Okay. Now, before we do that, I want to talk about um, tension for just a minute. So here, here's my crowd participation question. What, what's your favorite story, right? Just maybe tell a neighbor next to you the next minute or so. What's your favorite story? It could be a book. It could be a movie. It could be something you made up. I, whatever, whatever your favorite story is, go ahead and just tell somebody close to you right now. If you don't have anybody close to you, you can, cry, you can talk, whatever. Minute will be really long, maybe ten seconds. Okay. <laughs> so what do you got? What's your favorite story? Somebody shout them out. Favorite stories. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Yes. Yes. What else? Chronicles of Narnia. What else? Other here. Harry, did I hear Harry Potter? Harry Potter. Well done. Okay. Others. Eat, love, pray. Okay. Any others? Braveheart would be mine. Right. Any anybody? Let, let's talk Jurassic Park for a minute. Okay. Let's, let's say, I want you to think about Jurassic Park. How many of you have seen Jurassic Park? Okay, so a good majority of the room. If you haven't, then it's about dinosaurs and they kill some people, okay? You're caught up. So let's say, let's say in Jurassic Park that you went and saw the film and it's this summer film and you're so excited and the music's playing and, you, and the people go to this island and they find the dinosaurs and they hop in the truck and they ride around the island. They see this nice tour and then they get off the truck and they hop back in the plane or the helicopter and they fly off the island and then the credits roll. That movie makes no money, right? Are you with me? And the reason is because if that was the story, there's absolutely no tension to that. Are you with me? Like, there's no threat of T-Rex coming at them and chewing them up. There's no threat of the raptors spitting in their face. And like, there's none of that if there's no tension. And I would say every story we love involves some kind of tension. 
every movie we like, every, uh, uh, every, everything that we consume that draws our attention, that captivates us, is involved with some sort of tension because tension creates great stories. If you're taking notes, that's the first one, right? Tension creates great stories. Tension actually moves stories forward. It, it creates progress and power and impact. Tension is actually at the heart of every great story that's ever been created, written, lived, experienced, watched, observed, all those things. Now, here's my question as we start into this series. If we believe that, would you guys agree with me, that tension makes these great stories, that all the stories you love have great tension? Okay, if we believe that, here's the question. Why, my question in this series, why do so many of us live trying with everything that's in us to avoid tension? Are you with me? You don't want to talk about this, I can tell. Why? If we go, I love these movies. I love the, 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 the conflict, the stress. I love that, that we go, that when it comes to our lives, we go, I want to have a great story, but I don't want any tension. I don't want any conflict. When it comes to my family, I just want to pretend that these issues don't exist. Amen? Let's just have dinner and don't talk about any of the hard stuff. How many of you have a mom that tells you that? Like, we're having dinner. These are the topics that you're not allowed to talk about. Gotcha? So we get that in our family, right? We get that in our marriages. Our marriages often at times are like this, where we, we sit down and we know all the... How many of you, you know the tension? You just don't talk about it. Are you with me? Okay. We get this with our kids, we get this in our workplace, with our relationships, with our friends, in our jobs. I meet so many people. Don't raise your hand on this one. So many people who are unhappy with their jobs. Amen. And they will just never let it be known because why would I create tension? I'm not going to go to, well, have you talked to your supervisor about creating more meaning? And you, no. Why would I talk to my boss about the reality of my life? Are you with me? Our education, right? We want it easy. And there's so many teachers in this church. We want our education to be easy. Many of you survived college because you found ways to make it easy. You begged, borrowed, stole, cheated, whatever you had to do to make your education easy. But study after study after study shows that learning actually enhances exponentially when there's some sort of tension, when there's some sort of discomfort. When it comes to our self-growth, every person in America says, I want to be fit. Do you want to give up McDonald's? No! <laughs> I just want to be fit, right? See, we love stories with tension, but most of us never want to step into tension, right? Here, here's the thing, and here's the proposition I want to make in this series. We find, every one of us as humans, every one of us as individuals, as families, as a church, as churches, we find greater purpose when we intentionally move toward tension, you will find greater meaning. Most people I know, most people you know are those who are looking for purpose, for passion, for meaning, for connection. How many of you have friends who are not followers of Jesus Christ, but you know they're looking for purpose? They're looking for meaning. They're looking for passion. Most of us are looking for this. Even when we follow Jesus, we come to a point where we go, well, that was nice. Now what? Now, what do I do with this? And if we talk about the stories we love, the heroes that we admire, the people that you most deeply respect, we will inevitably talk about stories and heroes and people who have chosen, watch this, not to avoid the tension, but who have embraced and engaged the tension. So I would say this today. 
Tension is something to be engaged, not avoided. It's something that we should be learning to step toward. It's the place where purpose and meaning, calling and connection emerge and actually converge together. So in this series, we're going to spend four weeks talking about four tensions that I believe that we should not avoid, but rather tensions we should step into. Now, if you're a conflict-averse person, if you are like, I don't want to talk about hard things, you're going to hate this series. You are gonna dis- you're going to just sit here and just be like, oh, this is awful. There are tensions over the next four weeks we're going to talk about that we should move towards rather than fear. Tensions that when you truly begin to engage them, I believe will become transformative in your spiritual journey. So the scripture that we started with this morning, this Ephesians 4 chapter, all 16 verses that we're going to unpack over four weeks, those verses have been known to be a statement from Paul to a church congregation that needed to own its place in the kingdom. If you read the book of Ephesians, you're going to find Paul calling out a church and saying, here's the theology, now step into it and live it, right? It's kind of a, hey, I, want, I love you as your pastor, but grow up. Like, that's kind of what he's saying. That's kind of what he's calling them out on. They're the same words that speak to our church, and I would argue all churches today. And over the next four weeks, we're going to walk through 16 verses. Now, I want to read one verse today from Ephesians 4. Here's the preface. This is a series for you, right? Everything that I'm going to teach over the next four weeks, I believe, is for you individually, for you as a family. I also believe it's for us as a church But what comes out of this series, the fruit of this series, watch this, is contingent on you. Because I can tell you about the tensions, and you can walk out of here and never step toward the tensions. Amen? Some of you know the right things to do, and you just know how to not do them. Don't we all? That's the reality. So look at this verse, and then we're going to jump in. Here's what Paul says in verse 1 of Ephesians 4. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, this is the verse. This is the heart of where this series came from. I had this material and other stuff to go with it for leadership, but I read this verse and I went, that's it. That's intentional. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord. Now, can, can I just ask this question? Anybody ever had somebody who's maybe a pastor? You can point at me if you want. I'm, I'm, I got big shoulders. I'm good. I got little shoulders, but spiritually speaking, I'm Okay. <laughs> As a prisoner for the Lord, you ever had someone, a pastor, a Christian, someone you, you, you just were listening to that was like, here's how you need to live your life. And they would tell you how you were supposed to live, but you could watch their life and say, well, you're not living it. You've had people like that. We call those hypocrites, right? We, we understand that. Paul writes this phrase, this verse, as a prisoner. He is not being figurative. He's locked in chains. He's actually saying, as I'm a prisoner for the Lord, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. And he writes this as someone who has lived his faith so much, so strongly, that he's lost everything. He's lost his freedom. See, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord. Here's what he says next. Live a life worthy. This is a man in chains because of his faith telling the church, I want you to live worthy. He offers a challenge to them. Part of this series is going to be really challenging. Part of this series is going to call you to places where you go, wow, I've never had to confront that. But he says, I want you to live a life worthy. And then he says this, of the calling. right? So he has this piece of live a life worthy. I want to challenge you. What you're living right now. Here's what I would say. Many of us are living lives that are unworthy. 
right? We're living this complacent Christianity. We know Jesus in our head. We might even know Jesus in our heart, but our lives are not matching up. We're, we, we understand faith on Sunday mornings for this hour that we're together, this hour and 15 minutes. Some of you are like, when you preach, it's an hour and 20. Okay, we understand that part of our faith, but what about Monday through Saturday? What about the beyond Sunday's part? And he says, live a life worthy, and he says, of the calling. See, calling is the invitation. Do you know Jesus was always walking in this tension of invitation and challenge? He was always like, come follow me. And people were like, oh, this feels so great. I'm a tax collector. I'm a sinner. And I got invited by this guy to come follow him. And then he's like, cool, you're following me? Now pick up your cross and die. Oh, that's not as fun. Like, can you just invite me again how he loves me? Like, that's, that, that's, and see, this is what Paul's saying. As a prisoner, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling. So let me just say this to you. God's call to live as worthy disciples always begins with an invitation. It always begins with an invitation. So before we, before we dig into the other 15 verses of this Ephesians passage, I, I want to show you today the nature of this calling. See, some of us, some of us know we've been called by God. You may not know for what exactly, but you can name the place. You can name the moment. You can name the journey that you took maybe as a child or a young adult where you felt like God spoke into my life and I understand this and he loves me and I've been called by God. Some of you have very specific things where you go, I know God has called me to this area of ministry, this area of life. I know what he's, and some of you are here and you would say, I don't know that God has called me. But see, calling always begins with an invitation. So Paul writes this, this calling, this invitation. Now, here's the question that I want to deal with today. Where did the leaders of this early church, where did their calling come from? And the point that I want to say is that it came from this call to go inward, right? So so let me show you something from Luke 24. I was right. Luke 24 is where we're going to go. Luke 24, the verse that we're going to read, picks up after Jesus has died on the cross, And you have these disciples that have followed Jesus, that have given up parts of their lives because they believed the call. They believed the invitation and they had followed Jesus. And now he's dead and he's in a tomb, so they think. And they're on their way. It says they were headed home. They were headed back to the place where they had known. They they said, we left our home. We left this place. We left what was comfortable to go follow Jesus. And on the road back home, Jesus comes alongside of them. Look at verse 36 of Luke 24. Here's what it says. While they were still talking about this, and I think they were talking about their disappointment. I think they were saying, we thought he was the one. We thought everything was going to be okay. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were, now watch, startled and frightened. And I love that, right? Thinking they saw a ghost. It was like he wasn't there and then he was there. And by the way, they don't recognize Jesus at this point. They're just scared. And for these disciples, the reason they're scared is because they had watched their rabbi, their leader, hang on a cross and die because of the things that he was claiming. And for them, they lived in perpetual fear at this point to say, what if we get chased down? What if we get pursued? What if we get hunted and they want to arrest us and they want to kill us for the things that we believed, past tense? They're startled and frightened. Verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And that's the moment that they know that it's Jesus. So they leave. They're headed home 
fearful and wanting to hide, and Jesus speaks to them, it's me. I want you to know that it's me. Now, flip over, if you have a Bible, to Acts chapter 1, because this is the pickup in this story. I, one, of our, one of our groups is going through Luke and Acts right now, and you need to read Luke and Acts together. It's like Rocky 1 and 2. You can't watch one without two. You've got to see them together. That's the way they function, okay? Acts 1 is where the church picks up in this, and in Acts 1, they're still waiting. They're still not sure what to do. Here's what it says in verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, while Jesus was eating with these disciples, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then go to verse 7. Here's what it says. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he'd said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now just pause with me. If you've been a disciple of Jesus for three and a half years, you've seen him die on the cross, you were ready to head home, scared, frightened, not sure what was coming, not sure you had any hope left, and and you find yourself walking on the road home and Jesus shows up and says, it's me. Go back and tell the disciples. Go back and get busy at the work. And then you move to Acts 1 where you're hanging out with the resurrected Jesus. By the way, how do you just sit here and just, oh, this is a nice sermon. That's amazing. There's a dead guy who's not dead anymore. And you're having food with him. And I'm thinking if I'm at that point, we won. Like they put nails through him. We won. Let's roll. That's what I'm thinking. Like, are we ready to do this? Let's go mission. And Jesus' first command to them is, wait. I'm back. I know you were afraid. I know you were scared. Ready? I'm back. Okay, what are we going to do? We're going to wait. Huh? That's what he's saying. Verse 10, as he ascends into the clouds, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? To which I think they were like, because he just floated away. <laughs> the same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem, watch this, from the hill called the Mount of Olives, the Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they took over the city in the name of Jesus. No. They went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all watched, joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Here's what I think this moment is. This is fear and confusion and obedience all in the same place. He told us to wait. We're scared. Where did he go? Now what does this mean? He said he, said he was going to leave us, and he did, but he, we know he's still alive. He's not dead anymore, so we feel empowered. What are we going to do? Well, he told us to wait, so let's just pray. Can I just say this to you first today? Waiting and calling are not separate things. The call of God on your life will sometimes be deeply intertwined with waiting. Some of us want to live into the calling of God only if that means forward progress, only if that means momentum and action and movement. And sometimes waiting is the call. And that is so easy for us Americans to deal with, isn't it? See, Acts 2 verse 1, and it just says this, that as Pentecost came, they're still waiting. It says they were all together in one place. So you want to know who started the early church? 
the failures, the frauds, and the forgotten faces. They were people that just a few chapters earlier in Luke had given up all hope. Jesus told them, he said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. Don't worry. And when they saw him die, they walked out of the city, right? They went home. They headed home because they were failures. Peter was a fraud. Peter had been confronted three times on the night of Jesus' death. Were you with him? No, I wasn't with him. Were you with him? No, I wasn't with him. Were you with him? No, I wasn't with him. He was a liar. And the revolution of the church, the movement of God's people that would literally change and transform the entire Roman world and eventually the entire world starts with a broken bunch of people waiting for God to show up in their lives. So congratulations, if you're here and you're broken and you don't know where God is, you might be somebody God's going to use to change the world. That's who he is. Now here's the question, what made the difference? I think it's a bunch of people who are confronted with this first tension that I want to talk to you about today, which is the tension of going inward, right? See, the life we're called to live begins with the courage to go inward, and some of us don't want to go there, right? I'm going to, I'm going to show you over the course of this series, there's going to be four sets of arrows that I want you to see. These are going to be visual reminders for the tensions that we need to live into. The first set of arrows is this inward arrow. Just picture two arrows pointing inward to itself, because if we're going to step towards the thing God, things God has called us to live, we have to first have the courage to go inward. If I talk to you about going outward, everybody gets excited about that. If we start talking about the courage and the, the mission and the purpose of chasing the things God has for us in the world, and we're going to hear more from our Ethiopia team in a couple weeks. They're going to share. They, I, you guys are still recovering. I can see it. I'm going fast. I'm trying to keep you awake. But they had an amazing trip, and there's so much work for us to do in Ethiopia. If we talk about Appalachian Impact, there's so much work in our county to be done. There's so much room for going outward with God. But what I want to say to you is most of us want to go outward first when we need the call, we need the the dream of God. We need the willingness of our heart to actually step inward. We need to do that. See, we live in a culture where we've forgotten how to be human beings because we've been human, we've become human doings. Are you with me? We forget what it means to be. We're busier than ever. We're more connected than ever. We have less purpose and meaning than ever. When people have a spiritual moment and they want to grow, they come to me and go, what can I do? And I'm like, just sit still. Just slow down and listen to what Jesus says. Well, no, 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 I want to do something for God. I know, that is it. Well, this is a hard teaching, and they leave. That, that's what typically happens. Maybe what we need is a step toward the attention of actually knowing ourselves, who God has created us to be. So what I want to do with the, the little time I have today is I want to give you just about three things that I think the journey inward involves understanding in ourselves. Here's the first one. The journey inward looks like this. First, we start to understand what calling is, right? We start to understand what, what calling is. Now, I don't know what your spiritual background is. If you grew up in a church where they talked about calling or, or you've wrestled with, I, I hear people ask this all the time. Uh, a lot of young adults are asking this. What's, what's God call on my life? What am I called to do? What's God calling me to? What we typically mean is this. We have, like, picture this little stick figure with about 35 thought bubbles around their head. You know what I'm talking about? And so when we say, what is God calling me to? We're asking, like, well, this thought bubble, this, this is my big thought bubble, and this means... What, what, who is God calling me to marry, 
right? I got to find the right person. So if I, if I pop this bubble too soon, then I might miss the person. Are you, are you with me? Or I need, to, I need to figure out what this is. And then there's another thought bubble that I care less about. This one's really big. This one's kind of big because I got to pay for the wedding. That What job should I do, right? I've tried 35 jobs and I don't like any of them. So what is God calling me to, amen? And then we've got other thought bubbles like where should I live and thought bubbles like what, what is God calling me to, to do in the church? How can I serve? And, and we've got all these kind of individual callings. Are you with me? What I want to say to you is that when we look at the nature, the story of Scripture, what we find is a God who said, my calling is simple. Jesus was asked, what's the most important command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what? That's your calling. He also said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's your calling. So if I could blend, watch, if I could blend all your 35 thought bubbles into one big thought bubble and say this is the calling of God is to love God, love others, and make disciples, and I'd like for you to live in the center of that as much as you can, then what people start to do is they start to go, well, yeah, but, but what do I do about my job? And I'm like, well, what do you love? Well, I love creating art. I love dreaming. Can you make money at that and survive? No. Are you willing to work bivocationally? Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can say, then go passionately do the things that you love and live into the calling that God has for you. What about, I, I love engineering and architecture and I see God's hand in design and I want to structure. Good, live into that. We need to have a theology that starts to say God is not as individualistic as we are. God actually has this major, massive call in the kingdom. He's establishing his kingdom. Remember we talked about heaven this summer? Some of you missed it. Go back. I answered every single question that anybody has about heaven. Just kidding. But God has this big picture, and he wants us to live into that. And within that picture of loving God, loving others, making disciples, there is so much freedom. There's so much imagination. And that means that everything we do is holy if we bring our worship to God in the midst of that calling. See, this frames God's will, not thought bubbles where you have to pick the right one. And if you get it wrong, you're messed up. But a universal call drawing others in with passion and purpose and creativity. And so when we start to take a journey inward, we start to go, what do I love? What brings me life? There's, there's a writer, John Elders, he says, don't ask yourself what the world needs, right? Most most students who are trying to figure out what should I study? What does the world need? How can I make a lot of money? Ask yourself what makes you come alive because what the world needs are people who are alive. Amen? This is the call of God. This is the calling of God. Here's the second piece of this inward journey. It's character. This is the hard one, by the way. Because every one of us, when it comes to our character, if we're gut honest... We know that our character can grow strong, but we also know that our character has a dark side. That every one of us, there are things in our life that if, if we were to kind of run down a list here publicly of the dark sides of your life, you would probably never come back to this church. Because none of us wants our dark side exposed. See, none of us wants to let people know that we're incredibly selfish or that we're incredibly greedy or that we have a hard time of getting up in the morning because of so much insecurity or so much loneliness or so many things that want to haunt us. These are the things that I would say, by the way, the enemy would use to take you out of service in God's kingdom is the dark side. And the question that we have to deal with is, where do these dark sides come from? And you don't have to raise your hand, but think about this. How many of you have issues in your life or, or, or battles or struggles in your life that you go, I just don't even know where this came from? 
I don't even know why I wrestle with this. I don't know why this sin is perpetual. I don't know how this addiction took over. I don't know how this self-image thing just has captured me. I'm not, I don't even know where this came from. Here's what I would say. I think these dark sides come from about three places. One is they first come from unmet needs. Right, if you've studied psychology, you know Maslow talks about these needs that we have to get, this pyramid of needs, this hierarchy of needs, that first we have these physical needs. So if somebody's hungry and we don't feed them, we can't talk to them about their spiritual existence. It doesn't matter. They have to have physical needs met. We have to know that many of us, the, the second block that he talks about is our safety, right? So you have your physical needs met. Then you got to have safety. you got to know that you, you are secure, that someone's going to take care of you, that, that you don't have to be afraid. Then he says it's love. The needs are love, right? That, that we have self-consciousness, feeling unwanted, worthlessness, loneliness, emptiness, isolation. If, we, if those needs are not met, we will suffer later in life. And then he says the next block is this esteem, that people have to have not just a sense of love, but a sense of value and worth, feeling like they're competent, feeling like they measure up. And he says, only after all those things, the physical, the safety, the love, the esteem, can someone actually, what he calls self-actualize, meaning know the depths of who they are, find connection, find purpose, find meaning, find passion. See, some of us, and this is the journey inward, some of us battle dark sides of our character because those needs were not met. And what happens, I will tell you this time and time and time and time again, when people sit down with me and go, I don't know how to grow in Christ. I got these things I'm not wrestling with. I just don't know how to get move forward. I don't know what, how to let go of this. When I bring up what needs were not met, were you, did you feel a sense of love from your father? Did you feel a sense of love from your mother, from the family around you? Do you have any self-esteem that you feel like you connected with people? What I see nine times out of 10 is the wall goes up. Because that journey inward is so hard to take, to actually name. See, for our culture, we think discipleship is only moving forward. And I think sometimes we can't grow closer to Christ until we have the courage to look backwards. We need that. So that comes from that. The second place that I think our, our, our character comes from and the dark sides of our character comes from trauma. And we've talked about this so many times, right? But you know what trauma is? Trauma is when the past keeps invading your present and then transforming your future. That's what trauma is. Every one of us in the room has dealt with trauma, I would imagine, whether it was abuse, whether it was loss, whether it was suffering, whatever it was, you have experienced those things. And that trauma can deeply affect the way you handle, the way you deal with that trauma can deeply affect how you move forward in life. And then the third piece that kind of shapes our dark side, and I want to show you a piece that puts this all together. This is big philosophical words, right? Existential debt. What that means is you walk around thinking that all these things that have happened or all these things that have taken place in your life, that it's your fault. Your fault. And you know what happens when I start preaching this? And it's the same thing that's happening today. I start seeing this. About five minutes into this conversation, I start seeing heads go like this. That is the physical posture of the spiritual nature of our heart, by the way. We put our heads down thinking, I, I can't go there. I don't, I'm just guilty. I'm just guilty. I'm just guilty. There's a film that came out several years ago that showed this more clearly than anything I've ever seen. Goodwill Hunting. You guys seen this? Watch this clip real quick. See, it was the courage to go inward that set him free. It wasn't any spiritual plan. It wasn't any development manifesto, whatever it was. But it was someone speaking into him, it's not your fault. And then finding the freedom to actually believe that. 
See, our character, when the dark sides take over, when you're bound up in those things that are, are traumatic or the things that you feel like you are guilty of or the other things that stand in the way, it stands in the way of your calling. And, and character comes when you start to live a life of balanced freedom. See, the reality of most people that I interact with today, the reality of my own life is that most of us live perpetually out of balance. We live out of balance. See, and when we're out of balance, we're not free because when we're out of balance, craving comes. Some of you are so out of balance, whether it's your spiritual life, your physical life, your intellectual life, your relational life, your emotional life, that you're so out of balance and you don't want to deal with the relational side or the spiritual side that you're distracting yourself with this third thing that I'm going to tell you about, which is cravings. Because when we live out of balance, then we are consumed by cravings. When you feel like I've never been loved well by someone, I've now always, everybody I've always loved has let me down or they've left me, they've abandoned me, they've gone away from me, then you will crave that and you will fill it up in ways that are unhealthy. And so here's what I'm going to do today as we close. This is one of those sermons I didn't have a good close for, so I'm going to let God do what he wants instead of my agenda. I'm going to have the band come. The questions that I want you to kind of reflect on as we start this series, this is just intro, by the way, and if this series creates tension, that's kind of the goal. But we're going to walk in that together. Here's the question that I would ask. What, what cravings are consuming you? Where do you feel like, I'm, I'm so unhealthy in this? Maybe it's spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, emotional, what, what's consuming you? And then maybe this is a more important question. What is it in your life right now that Satan, the one that the scripture says, by the way, Satan is not the little cartoon devil on your shoulder. He is an enemy who wants to ruin your life. He wants to take you out of service in God's kingdom. He wants to damage you. Those dreams, those attacks, those things that come in, those voices in your head that you know are irrational, that nobody ever spoke to you, but you still hear the negativity all the time, that's attacks of Satan. What would he use to take you out? What would he use to remove you from the calling that God has for you? See, the journey inward leads to this third question. What about you stands in the way of the you God called you to be? What is it about you that just sits right there as that wall that if you said, if I could just remove this part of myself, if I could just deal with this, if, if, if God could just remove this, then I could live into exactly who God called me to be. What brings you life? And so as we close, here's what we're going to do. The ancient church, and we have time for this today, the ancient church had a practice that was led by a man named Ignatius. And Ignatius had a whole series of prayer reflections. And it was Ignatius would, would lead people in prayers of silence where they would actually reflect. He called it the daily examine. Right? It's, 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 for me, it's what I use devotionally. Every day I'm trying to do this. It's so hard and so counter, and I stink at it, so don't think that I've got this mastered and I'm some monk living in a house. I actually live in a house with a lot of women, and I'm really busy all the time. <laughs> but this is incredibly grounding for me. And what Ignatius said is that when we pray, we need to actually go inward. We need to actually tap into the true desires of our heart. And so as we start this prayer, I'm going to give us about five, ten minutes here to just slow down and tap into that. So let's pray together, and I'm going to lead you through this. I'm going to lead you through this with, with, with words, okay? Let's pray together. Let's close our eyes and just pray. And when we start this prayer, and I'm going to guide you, and I want you to just pray this in your head, in your heart. If you want to pray out loud, you can. 
But Ignatius would say that we pray a grace. We would pray a grace over our lives and ask God to help us understand in this moment, God, what is the truest desire of my heart? What is it that I really want? What is it that you've put in me or that I should be desiring? What is it that I truly want right now? And you may find in this moment as you're praying that that your desire, it doesn't have to be super spiritual. You could say, my desire is I just want to stop dealing with the junk in my life. My desire is I want a better job. My desire is I want to stop worrying about money. I want to stop worrying about my marriage. My desire is I want this conflict to go away. But what is it that you really want? to that. Don't be afraid of that. Don't try to avoid that. Let that take you inward to the heart of who you are and who God's called you to be. And then in in the Ignatian prayer, we reflect on scripture. And so I'm going to read to you from Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. I just want you to listen to these words and let them speak into your life in whatever way that God might want to use them. You can think about the phrases that stand out, the things that that really just resonate with you or speak to you or that you would just like to hear again and again. Isaiah 43 says, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. An Ignatian prayer asks us to do this, to imagine, to imagine that God is simply present and loving you personally, right beside you in this moment. here right now loving you and that he actually cares about that desire that you named right now and in this prayer I want you to reflect this is the, these are the words that he used that you would reflect on this season of your life it could be the past day it could be the past week it could be the past month or year but I want you to reflect on this as we continue to pray the first word is to reflect on the desolation the desolation is the things that turns us in on ourselves. The desolation are the things that drive us into the negativity, that cuts us off from community. So the desolation, when did you want to give up? When did you just want to throw in the towel? What have you or what are you obsessing about? What's wearing you out? 
name those things. If God is present and he's loving you and he's standing and sitting right beside you, name those things and hand them to him. And then Ignatius uses the word of consolation. That in the midst of those obsessions, in the midst of the negativity, in the midst of the brokenness, that we serve a counselor. And it lifts our heart to see the joys and the sorrows of others around us. And so the question of consolation in this season, where do you feel connected in spite of your brokenness? Where do you feel connected to the community today? Where are you inspired? Where do you feel like you're sensing new ideas? Where do you see clearer vision than you did before? Where's God active? Where is he leading you? What might he be saying to you? Where where is energy coming? And the question of these prayers is what is the call to us? What is God saying to us right now? What, What is it maybe that we need to receive from God today? Maybe it's as simple as God saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. You're not alone. You're not alone in this. And maybe you just need to receive that. Maybe it's a response of surrender to say, I need to let go of this. I've been holding this. I've been carrying this for too long, and it's not mine to carry. It's not for me, and I'm going to let go of it. Or maybe it's to be reconciled, that God would be speaking into you, saying, this needs to be made right. I'm going to make this right. And so, Father, in this place, we're going to live in a posture of surrender. We're going to spend this time with you reflecting, listening. Father, help us to take this journey inward to say, God, what is it that you want to do in my life? What is it that you want to confront in my life? What is it that you want to deal with in my life? What is it that I've been avoiding in my life for days, for weeks, for months, for maybe years? What's the legacy that I've been handed, the cravings that I keep going after? What's the the false lies that I've believed from the enemy? What is it that the enemy wants to use to take me out? God, we want to see you deal with those things today. Father, in the midst of that, would you console us? Would you love us? Would you wrap your arms around us and help us to find the courage to receive your love, to surrender to your love, to reconcile the places where we have not been in love? God, would you show us what it means to move forward and to find healing and find health? For many of us, this is so hard. But Father, it's a step. It's a step in the right direction. So Lord, continue that.